Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we love you. Lord, we do ask you to wake us up. Truth of the hour in which we live. God, I'm asking you to come fascinate us again today. Shock our hearts with truth and reality. We want to see you. We want to perceive you. We want to encounter you, God. Lord, we've had quite enough meetings in this age, on this side. We want you. We want you. And Lord, I'm asking, would you come? Infiltrate this house with your presence. Release even a touch of your glory on us. I pray you draw us in, you'd allure us, captivate us. Once again, let our hearts come alive in the knowledge of God. How we love you. How we love you. How we love you. Come even more powerfully now, Spirit of God. Come even more powerfully now, Spirit of God. Come even more powerfully now. Spirit of God. Good. Yeah, good. Amen. Amen. Last week we talked about the glory of God and the beauty of Jesus and the beauty of the Son. This week I want to talk about the glory of God and the beauty of the Father. Talk specifically about the beauty of the Father. And I just, the, uh, I tell you, the Trinity is such a unique, amazing study. All things are for the Father, and all things are for the Son. Jesus plainly said to the Jewish elders, he said, I and my Father, we are one. We are one, united in purpose, thought, and deed. Jesus said, all that I see the Father do, that's what I do. And all that I hear the Father say, that's what I say. It's powerful who our God is. So I want to talk about the Father today. I want to talk about the glory of the Lord and the manifestation of the Father's beauty. And this is what we were made for, beloved. We were made to be fascinated. We were made to be shocked. Our frame was made to be shocked. That's why people run and spend millions of dollars on horror movies and amusement parks and bungee jumping and skydiving and shark cage watching, whatever it is, people spend millions and millions of dollars on entertainment that will thrill their soul because they know that their soul was made to be thrilled. They, most people just don't, they just don't know by what. And if we can comprehend this one, the eternal father, where we're going, next week that's what I'm going to talk about, where, we're, where this is all going. Because the glory of the Lord is going to cover the earth. As the waters cover the sea. The sea is made of water. Guess what that means? The earth is going to be saturated with glory. The very glory of the Father. And so uh, we need to click into these thoughts. You know, I used to preach a lot on what uh, God did and what he would do and what he required of us. And I used to preach a lot on what we were supposed to do lists and the five things uh, to do, you know, have a better life or whatever. And, and I found this, that years and years and years of preaching, uh, primarily on what we should do and what God do, uh, does, uh, did not produce the level of heart engagement and abandonment with the Lord that I was desiring to see, not only in my life, but into, in the lives of the people that I was responsible for. And uh, some years ago, just a handful of years ago, probably about four, four or five years ago, I just began to preach, instead of about God, I just, uh, I mean, instead of what God would do, I just started to preach God. What God was like, who God was, and the knowledge of God. I, most of my messages will uh, come from that lens of the knowledge of God. Who is God? I found this little verse in 2 Corinthians 10. It says this, that every stronghold that's exalted uh, in the mind of people is ex exalted against the knowledge of God. 
So what I realized was this, that every attack of the enemy causes a perversion in terms of uh, the way that we think about who God is. And if we can rightly proclaim who God is, strongholds will begin to break in people's minds. People will begin to get liberated, come alive in heart, and then they'll be abandoned unto serving the Lord in a, in a great measure. And my list of four and five things that people ought to do wasn't bringing us to abandonment and uh, you know our worship and our lifestyle unto the Lord. And so what I started doing was predominantly preaching through a lens of who is God and proclaiming the knowledge of God. And in there, what happened was I saw people's hearts start coming alive. Saw hearts start, you know, breaking free of strongholds. Saw people start, you know, living in an abandoned way that I'd never been able to bring them to by demanding them to do the five things to make you on fire. And uh, what happened was when they actually saw God, their hearts unlocked. They came alive. And uh, that's, that's our main mode. We, we, we continually proclaim God. We try to mostly preach God. And it's, it's not that we neglect instruction on the specifics on on how to live um, I mean we do all sorts of different things to to give you know specifics on how we ought to live this Christian life but I find that if we will make the primary goal of our instruction Christ the proclamation of Christ be like Paul you know I didn't come in persuasive words of man's wisdom and the demonstration of the spirit of power and when he came to a place he proclaimed Christ and him crucified and demonstrated the power of God and we would be like that I find that people's hearts actually come more alive than any five pointer instruction kind of thing we can give them and so it's it's not that we neglect those things but we we uh, try to draw people into the knowledge of God and here's what happens they get drawn into the knowledge of God then they fall in love And when they fall in love, they automatically live abandoned. See, because a lover is a greater servant than any server ever has been. A lover is a greater worker than any hired hand. And, uh, And so when we can cause the heart to come alive in love, it is the most practical thing there is to instruct the body of Christ in. Causing the heart to come alive in love and coming to a depth of the knowledge of God. And so uh, that's where we're going this morning again. And this, the study on the glory of the Lord is really that. It's a study of the knowledge of God. And in the glory of the Lord is the knowledge of the Lord. And in the glory of the Lord is the beauty of the Lord. See, when we perceive His glory, what happens is we perceive His essence because the glory of the Lord is the essence of God. It's the emanation of that which is within God manifests in a certain place. Let me say that again. The glory of the Lord is the essence of God. It's the emanation of the essence of God manifest in a certain place. So when God's glory is manifest, it's not simply the weight of his presence, and it's not simply power, it's not simply beauty, it's actually all that God is manifest in a geographic location, the essence of God. So when we see his glory, we see his beauty. And when we see his glory, we see his power. And when we see his glory, we see his essence, we perceive the knowledge of him. We perceive the knowledge of God. That's why David said this. He goes, there's one thing I'm desiring, to gaze on the beauty. What's he talking about? He goes, I want to interface with God's glory. I want to perceive the beauty of God because I want to comprehend the essence, the knowledge of God. I want to experience the power of God. I want to be fully possessed and overwhelmed with God. There's one thing that I want in this life. He goes, it's not more kingdoms. It's, it's, it's not more accolades of humankind. It's, it's not more finances and riches. It's not more titles. He goes, there's one thing I want. I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. I want to gaze on his beauty. And all that we would come to that place. We would, we would no longer desire any earthly thing that, that, that humans can give us. Now, God gives us all sorts of things in this realm. I mean, he, he gives us conquests and, and all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, uh, human doings. He, God blesses the works of our hands. That's the point I'm trying to make. But there's the heart uh, desire that would say this. I just, I want to see him. I want to gaze 
on the beauty of the Lord. I want to gaze on Him. I want to perceive Him. I want to comprehend Him. And this is the journey that we're on. We're on the journey. Beloved, I hope this is where we at, we're at. That we're on the journey to be fascinated. We come to the place where we realize that our frame was constructed for more than this realm can offer. And we come to that place and, and you say, you know what? There's not much more I can get in this realm that's going to make me f- say, wow. I mean, how good can the special effects in the movie get? Do you know what I'm saying? How, how big can they build the tallest building? I was looking at that the other day in, in Dubai. They've got the tallest building. Well, there's another guy. He's building a taller building. And then there's another guy. And he's going to build one that's you know, taller than that. Why? Ten more stories. Wow. It's the futility of humanity. Trying to make, you know, monuments to our own greatness. We're trying to do something that causes our hearts to be thrilled and amazed. Not comprehending this. You were made for eternity. Made to be thrilled. Made to be fascinated. Made to be blown away. I mean, we go to the newest Spielberg movie, the one with the greatest special effects. We plop down the 10 bucks because we want to be blown away. We want our stories to, we want our mind to comprehend stories that take us on a journey. I tell you, hopefully we are on a journey, and the journey's destination is God. And along the way, we have dreams about men we don't know. And when we see that man, the man's laughing, and it, perhaps it's an angel, and then we go get healed of some infirmity. Who does that? Only God. God weaves that stuff together. Who stretches out the heavens like a curtain? I love the Lord talking to Job. Job's, you know, covered in boils. He's got his three really good friends discouraging him. Friends like that who needs enemies. And Job says something along this line. If God would just appear, I'd tell him my case. And the Lord does appear. Job 37, the end of Job 37, the Lord appears in a whirlwind. And then the Lord ends up saying to Job, Who are you who darkens counsel with words without wisdom? And he goes through a few chapters and he begins to say, who knows the ways of the earth? Who knows how humans uh, live? Who knows the ways of the animal kingdom? Who knows the ways of the heavens? Can you make snow happen, Job? If so, tell me how. And God just begins to thunder the truth of his greatness. And hopefully we are on this journey to intersect, to collide with a God whose greatness is unsearchable. I mean, greatness is unsearchable. What does that mean? It means you can stay on this journey all your life and you'll find little milestones and little things along the way and they'll thrill you, but you haven't even scratched the surface. Do you get it? We're going to enter into eternity with the God that eternity dwells within. Huh? Yeah, yeah. Nothing is above him. Everything is beneath him. It all dwells within him. All things are for him and through him and to him. And we're going to enter into eternity with all the time there is to search out the one that's unsearchable. In this age, we live fascinated with $10 movies and roller coasters. And a $30 stake. We live fascinated with the newest piece of cowhide with some guy's name put on it, wrapped up and made into a purse or a shoe. Oh, girl, those shoes are fine. We live fascinated that way. And, and instead, we can have God. 
And I pray that we are coming into contact with this truth. Your frame was not made for this place. Your frame was not made for futility. Hopefully your soul is beckoning to you from within saying, wait a minute, this can't be all there is. Hopefully the cry from inside your heart is, there must be more. And beloved, my answer to you is, there absolutely is more. There's God. Incomprehensible, unsearchable, fantastic, brilliant to behold, majestic, glorious, doing wonders. What do you do, God, all day? Wonders. Stuff to blow you away. That's what God does. I remember the first time somebody told me about speaking in tongues. And I, I'd been a Christian, and I'd, you know, I'd been going to the, you know, the denominational church, whatever, and nobody had ever told me about it. And uh, the guy that led me to the Lord, he goes, you know what you need? He goes, you need to be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues. I go, what is that? He goes, God will give you a supernatural language where you speak and only God can understand it. And I said, now that's what I'm talking about. If, there's, if God's really like a God, like surely we've got some cool stuff. Surely like there's some weird language I get to speak and God gets it. I mean, that, that is just so cool to me. I never, it never dawned on me that that, you know, that would be strange to anybody. I was like, of course, God's supernatural. Tell me what to do. He goes, I'll pray for you and you can do it. And two minutes, I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm like 19 years old. I'm like barely saved. In two minutes, I'm shikorobobo. God understands this? He goes, yeah. I go, this is so cool. And I just hear like the father saying, oh, little buddy. You know, looking at me at 19. I mean, I'm still just like trying to clean up my language, you know. Going, you have no comprehension of the journey I'm about to take you on. You have no idea where this is going. And you know what I find? I come to the place and I go, oh man, I know exactly what God's doing. And I feel like the Lord just says over me, he goes, yeah, you're going to say that a thousand more times. You have no idea where this is going. You have no comprehension of what's getting ready to happen. Oh, that our hearts would be unsettled with anything less than God. That the newest clothes and the nicest car and the coolest house and the best furniture and the whatever it is that gains our affection and our attention, that it would so pale in light of the knowledge of Him. He is our destination. The Father is our destination. And I promise you, every desire, every thrill-seeking desire you have inside you will be met and overwhelmed. You want, you know, radicalness at a level 10. God's going to give it to you at a level 1,000. You're going to have to be like pulling it back when you comprehend Him. And I pray that's our journey. I pray that we comprehend we're made to be stunned. We're made to be shocked. And the reason why we live so bored and so drawn away by lesser things, things that are infinitely inferior, is because we have no vision of God. We have no vision of God. We believe God is a system of belief instead of the most majestic one there ever is. Instead of the uncreated one whose name is holy. He's the perfection of beauty. <laughs> we live so drawn away by stuff that's so inferior and so worthless because we don't know God. We haven't seen God. Jesus said, no one's seen God except the Son. I was thinking about that. Jesus was drawing in his earthly ministry. He was drawing on his face-to-face -face encounters with the throne. That's what Jesus was drawing on. His proclamations of truth were the proclamations of the Father. He was manifesting the glory of the Father and proclamating, uh, proclaiming the name and the, the nature of the Father. Why? Because he'd encountered the Father. 
And oh, I want to encounter the Father. And see, these things, beloved, they've got to move out of the realm of theory into the realm of reality. Sometimes we talk about spiritual truths and they take on sort of a cartoon-esque kind of quality. It's just like that cool thing that I'll never really touch. And we need to pull the reality of the glory of God into this, that there truly is a throne that's set in heaven. That throne is arrayed with glory, and that glory is actually manifest in the earth in many, many places everywhere the Father desires. So is the glory of the Lord actually manifest. The very glory of the uncreated God, his essence, his beauty, his power, his nature, the light of who he is, it's actually manifest in geographic locations right now. And that cannot be a theory for us. That's got to be reality for us. That cannot simply be, yeah, we're hearing a nice little teaching on the glory. No! God desires to manifest his glory in our midst Till we're overwhelmed, till we're stunned, till we're shocked, till we're undone, till we're experiencing the truth of God. The human frame will live dull, broken, and bored until it experiences God. And for us to keep this thing in the theory realm and not bring it into the reality realm, it keeps us veiled, it keeps us dull. We need to click the switch in our mind and say, wait a minute. This isn't just a good thought. This is true. This is reality. It's reality. His glory is reality. It's not simply theory. I love what David said. He said, Lord, I love the habitation of your house. And I have loved the place where your glory dwells. I have loved being in your glory. See, the glory, it manifests the nature of God, manifests the beauty of God, the power of God, the essence of God is in the glory. So when we study the glory, we study his nature. When we study the glory, we study his beauty. We study the glory, we not only experience him, we find out who he is. So we're talking about the beauty of the Father. The glory of the Lord and the beauty of the Father. So I just want to read a list. I just, just went through the New Testament and I didn't even develop any of this. Just read every verse where it said Father. Just, just hear what, the, what it says about the Father. I just want to read these two. It's maybe 25 of them. It's not exhaustive. But the nature of the Father is manifest in His glory. So when we see the beauty, here's what I'm trying to get you to see. When we see the beauty of the Father, we comprehend the nature of the Father. In a minute, we're going to look at the beauty of the Father, but I want to talk for a moment about the nature so we comprehend that when we're seeing the beauty, we're finding out what He's like on the inside as well. The Father, the nature of the Father. The Father, He's loved us. The Father offered His Son for us. The Father draws us to the Son. The Father sees us and he rewards us. The Father knows us, all of our needs. The Father gives us good gifts. And the Father forgives us. The Son reveals the Father, and the Father reveals the Son. And the Father is merciful to us. The Father is pleased, gives him pleasure to give us the kingdom. The Father seeks us, and the Father never judges us. Do you know that the Father never judges you? The Father has committed all judgment into the hand of the Son. The Father uses Jesus. Jesus Christ is the judge of the nations. He's the judge of all the earth. The Father has committed all judgment to the Son. So Jesus is the one that judges on behalf of the Godhead. The Father is without judgment and criticism over your life. The Father judges no one. Father himself loves you. The Father is the Father of mercies. The Father is the Father of comforts. The Father has chosen us. The Father has adopted us. The Father has accepted us. The Father has a family, and it's in heaven and earth, and you're part of it. 
The Father has called us His children. The Father, He is the Father of lights. The Father, He is the Father of glory. See, this Father that we are dim in our understanding of is the one who's, He's the one that emanates glory. He's the Father of glory. He's the issuer forth of glory. He's the initiator of glory. The Father of lights, the Father of glory, the Father of comfort, the Father of mercies. I want to take a look at Revelation 4, so flip over there with me. It gives us, Revelation 4 gives us the most dramatic glimpse into the nature of the Father. The most dramatic look into the glory and the beauty of the Father. I just, I just pray this washes over you. I just, I'm asking the Lord to let me speak and let the glory of the Lord, and the beauty of God just wash over your soul. Draw us in, God. Fascinate us. Draw us in to comprehending who you are. The beautiful God. You have a Father who's beautiful. You have a Father who is magnetic to your frame. The Father of glory wants to reveal himself to you. He wants to captivate your soul, draw you in. Revelation 4. As I said last week, I think, John is having an amazing quiet time. In Revelation 4, it just gets better. One minute, he's... Feet are on the earth. He hears Jesus behind him with a voice like a trumpet. He turns to see Jesus, and he goes into this encounter with Jesus, and Jesus is giving him uh, letters to churches, and those seven churches are seven churches that John had apostolic authority over in that day. So Jesus was giving John real instruction to those churches in Asia Minor for John to give them instruction. And then what happens is this. Verse 1, chapter 4, after these things, I looked, and behold, there's a door standing open in heaven. So his feet are on the ground, he looks up, and there's an open door in the heavenly realm. He actually sees a doorway. I have a friend, he had this encounter with the Lord. I'll tell you the story, it's a really cool story. He's actually in Douglasville, this pastor's church, their small church. Pastor just been through a lot of challenges, uh, personal my friend Kevin is sitting there speaking. While he's speaking, two 20-foot angels come in. They fly in, and they stand in the back, and then other angels appear. Two on each side here, two on each side halfway, and two on each side in the back. And two are in the middle in the back, and they're standing side by side. And he said, those angels, they stood there for a moment, and Kevin's just preaching along, and he said they did just like this. And when they did that like that, a doorway opened. And my, my friend, he could see right into that doorway. He said, I could see into eternity. Because I could see beauty and glory. And he said, there were things flying around in there. There was stuff happening and colors and sounds coming out of that doorway. He said, and Jesus walked right through the middle of it. He came in in his high priestly garments covered in blood. So my friend Kevin, he said, well, Jesus is here. And what, immediately what happened was the, the congregation just, began, he goes, let's just worship Jesus. And he said, the people right around where Jesus was standing, nobody else could see him. They just sort of began to turn and worship the Lord. And they were actually worshiping towards where Jesus was standing. The glory of the Lord was emanating from Christ. Jesus came and he began to give some instruction. That's what this doorway that John saw was like. He saw a door standing open. And rather than Jesus coming through the door, or the Father coming through the door, John hears a voice, and the voice, it says, in the first voice which I heard, notice first voice, there was a ton of voices coming out of that door. But the first voice, it was like a trumpet. And it was speaking with me, and it was saying, come up here. And I will show you things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit. And behold, 
a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures, full of eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had the face like a man. The fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. John, one moment, is encountering the risen and glorified Christ with his feet on the earth. And one more minute, he is supernaturally propelled through a door opened in the heavens and he's standing before the father of all creation. He's in the throne room of the uncreated God and his eyes are looking at him. What do you think is happening in John's mind? All the verses, no man can see the Father but live and live. I mean, all the verses, no man has seen God at any time. They're rolling through his mind. You know, I don't think when you go into the heavenly encounter, you just become really cool. That's God up there. Some living creatures, eyes in front and back. Yeah. There's a sea of glass. That's cool. I think you maintain all your uh, faculties of your soul. In fact, the guys that I know that have been there, they say that. They go, man, I went there and I was messed up. You know, they're there, but their souls are blowing up. And I think John is up there and he is going through the archives. All the verses are in his mind. And he is staring at the throne, which is the centerpiece of all created order. Everything emanates from the throne. And there's John, just a man. And he's before this throne. And he's looking and perceiving the Father of glory. What kind of palpitations are happening in his insides? He is, I think... The only thing that's causing him to be maintained is that God wanted him to have a record of what he was seeing. God wanted him to record it. And that's the only way he's able to be maintained in this. He's conceiving, perceiving the Father on the throne in full manifest glory. So let's just work through these verses. See, I pray as we talk through these things that I pray internally you just, you become dissatisfied. I don't want normal, three fast, three slow worship Christianity. I don't want the version that fits in the box. Let me tell you something. Revelation 4 does not fit in the box. The whole Bible doesn't fit in the box. I want the version that comes and jacks my soul up completely. I want to be undone. I want Isaiah's undoneness to govern my existence in this age. If it's ever nice and cookie cutter for me and it feels safe and conservative, I feel funny. 
Because he's, how, how does that, C.S. Lewis, he's not a very safe, he's not a safe lion. Not a tame lion. He is, a, he is intense. Let's look at this. Immediately I was in the spirit. And behold a throne set in heaven. And one set on the throne. We've got to comprehend this throne is real. You have been covered with blood so that you can come to the throne of grace, that's this throne, to receive mercy and grace to help in times of need. John is standing before the throne of grace, looking at the Father of mercy, and he says, one sat there. He sees the outline of an individual. And here's the deal. When this phrase, behold a throne, when it drops down into your soul and you get it that there is no other created throne that has any kind of authority compared to this throne, that this is the throne that's over all created order and that you actually have access to this throne, I promise you, a trip to the Oval Office would be boring in your mind when you know this, that every single day of the week, all day, every day, you can live going to the throne, the throne. Behold a throne. There is no created throne that has any authority compared to this throne. And where do we make our petitions? At the throne. So we say, well, I'm an ambassador to the king of whatever. That's nice. I am a citizen of heaven. Part of the church of the firstborn. I have access to the throne. When behold a throne sets in your soul, prayer makes sense. Until behold a throne sets into your soul, prayer doesn't make sense. Because you think you need to do all this other activity, trying to do all these other things to try to make the earthly thrones move. And what you don't comprehend is this. If you'll stand before the throne and make your request known to that throne, the Father loves to hear your voice, and he does whatever you ask in the name of Jesus. The way the thrones on the earth move is by making requests. Behold a throne set in Washington, no, set, it's established, it's settled, where? In the heavenly realms, and nothing on the earth takes place outside of that throne, approving or disapproving. When behold a throne gets in your soul, nothing else makes a lot of sense if you don't go to that throne first. Behold a throne. I like to think of, whenever you see behold, I like to think of it as the divine voila. I mean, you see it and it goes, you know, it's God unveiling another facet. And I've read every behold in the scripture. And every time it says behold, it's something that's supposed to shock you. And John goes, immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne set there, established And more than that, the uncreated one was sitting on it. It'd be enough if it was an empty throne. But the uncreated one was sitting upon it. When you pray and you say, Father, in the name of Jesus, in the spirit, you are in the exact same place that John was. You're before the same throne. You have the same access. You have to come up here. Simply because you don't go there physically doesn't mean that you don't go there spiritually. You go to that place. That's what the Bible says. It says because we have the blood of Jesus on us, we have access to the throne of mercy and grace, to receive mercy and grace to help in time of need. I used to think of it this way. I used to think I'd have to stand before the throne, sort of get, you know, twist the Father's arm to give me mercy and grace. And I never understood. He is the Father of mercies. So when I show up at the throne, you know what he's wanting to do? Divvy out some mercy. 
I show up and he goes, little buddy, how can I be merciful to you today? How can I minister on your behalf? How can I bring pleasure to myself by giving you the kingdom? It's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Behold a throne set in heaven and one, one, capital O, one sat upon it. Behold, our God is one God. Verse three, and he who sat there, he was like a jasper and a sardius stone in appearance. There was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Some commentators will tell you, well, those, those colors are, you know, they don't really mean anything. They're, they're some of the uh, gems that are on the high priest's breastplate, and there's some of the stones that are part of the foundation of the eternal city. But I believe each one of those stones gives us another facet of the nature of God. As we, as we perceive his beauty, we begin to comprehend his nature. And he sat there, was like a jasper. The jasper was very similar to, to a diamond in the ancient world. Very beautiful. Uh, you know, shining and shimmering. Sometimes it would have a red hue, sometimes it would have a light green hue. The, 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 the finer ones had the, the light green, pale hue. And it was a, a, a gemstone, very similar to a diamond, radiating. He said, this one that sat there, he goes, I wasn't making out a lot of physical specifics, but there was jasper light, shining and glimmering diamond light coming off of him. The beauty of God, the jasper God, shining. See, the whole new Jerusalem is going to be lit up with the glory of the Lord shining from the face of Christ, it's going to be that jasper, diamond light. Beloved, in the next age, the earth is going to have that jasper light shining on it from the face of Christ. Diamond light. What is diamond looking light? I don't know. But it's very cool. He's like a jasper Speaking of his purity, speaking of his holiness, speaking of his beauty, speaking of his glory, shining, glimmering, and he's like a sardius. Sardius is ruby red, deep blood red, and while the the jasper speaks of his purity and his holiness and his beauty, the sardius speaks of his Vindication and justice. His willingness to bring retribution. What's interesting to me is you have this two-tone reality, this duality, the nature of God being manifest in His very image. We see Him as the pure, beautiful God and as the God who's full of justice. His throne is established on righteousness and justice. And he is the God who will bring retribution to everyone who denies his son. The red sardius speaking of the justice of God. The beautiful jasper speaking of the purity of God. And here's the thing about God. Every attribute of God is manifest at a level 10 and none of them are contradictory to one another. You and I, see, when I manifest mercy, I I can't simultaneously manifest justice. When I'm manifesting justice or anger at sin, I'm not very kind. I have a hard time moving in between the different facets of my own personality. God isn't like that. He's 100% merciful and 100% moving in justice simultaneously without contradiction. And every one of the attributes of God is the same. He has 
infinite attributes that are all in manifestation, all on level 10, all at the same time, and not one of them contradicts another. Who is this God? He's Jasper and Sardius. He's beautiful to behold. It's captivating to my frame because I've never seen diamond-like light. I've never seen ruby, glistening ruby red, shining from anyone. And in him, it's mixed. I try to perceive it, and I try to line it up in my mind. I go, there it is. There, behold a throne. There's one seated there. He's got Jasper and Sardis coming off of him. There's 24 thrones, 24 elders, all in white robes. There's a sea of glass. There's thunders, lightnings. There's voices. There's four living creatures, eyes in front and behind. And I just, I, I go, Father. See, I don't know what you're praying to when you pray, but I'm, I'm going there. I'm going to that place that's the epicenter of all created order to speak to the uncreated one who's the father of mercies and to perceive his beauty, to comprehend him. When I stand at this prayer mic, I am not trying to assail a God who doesn't want to answer me. I am not trying to budge my way in and make my request known to a God who's holding me at arm's length. I am coming before the Father of mercies to receive mercy and help and grace in time of need. I am standing before the Father by, by whom every family in heaven and earth is named. I'm one of his kids. I'm adopted. I'm accepted. And I stand before that beautiful Father and I make my request known. Abba. Abba, beautiful God who loves to hear me speak. Jasper and Sardius God. He's glorious to behold, beloved. And then he's got this amazing other little feature. There was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. In appearance like an emerald. The, the NIV, I, I like how it says it. It's, it. It talks about it surrounding the throne. It's encircling the throne. See, our, our Father, who is moving in justice and moving in purity, all at the same time, every action that he ever does, it comes through this rainbow that's not simply over the throne. It's encircling the throne. The term there could actually be, it's, the, the Greek term could actually be like a dome. And I believe he's got this emerald rainbow around him, and the, the color emerald speaks of mercy. And every activity of the eternal Father, whether it's justice, whether it's holiness, whether it's purity, whether it's vengeance, all of it goes through the rainbow of mercy. All of it. What does a rainbow look like, which is every color of the hue, every color that, that light can project when it's, when it's, how does it go, fractured, fragmented? What does a, a, a rainbow look like that's emerald? In a dome. What is that? Every activity of the Father comes through mercy. He's the one who alone is immortality. Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, he dwells in unapproachable light. Dwells in unapproachable light. He wraps himself in light like a garment. I love how it says it because it says, you are, Psalm 104, it says this, you are very great. You are clothed with majesty. You cover yourself with light as a garment. You stretch out the heavens like a curtain. Job 37, 22. I just found this one this week. I'd never really noticed it. He comes from the north as golden splendor. With God is also majesty. He comes with golden splendor. With God is also majesty. Jasper, Sardius, 
Father of mercies. Every activity from the throne is mercy. In verse 5, it says this. Out of the throne come flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder. Flashes of lightning, thunder, and sounds. Flashes of lightning. Sounds like we're back at Sinai. In fact, it's the exact manifestations that are on the mountain at Sinai. When God came down, when the Father came down, there was the manifestation of thunder. There was the manifestation of lightning. There was the manifestation of sounds and an earthquake and glory. And this is what's proceeding from the throne in Revelation 4. And I I love the verses because each one of those things, lightnings, thunderings, and then the sounds, they proclaim part of the knowledge of him. If you do a study on lightnings, you'll find that lightnings and thunderings specifically have to do with the activities of God in the earth. God moves with his lightnings and he thunders with his voice. So he proclaims the proclamation of the will of the throne and then he strikes with lightning on the earth. The Bible says he covers his hand with lightning and he commands it where to strike. And so that which John is seeing, (laughs) it's the operation of the divine counsels and manifestation. Those thunders and those lightnings are the activities of God that are going to manifest in the earth. And what do they sound like? What does thunder coming out of God sound like? What is lightning that's coming out of the one that's Jasper and Sardius look like? What are the sounds? One interpretation, translation says voices. Another says sounds. I want to tell you this. Whatever it is, I guarantee you, it's musical. Because it's not going to be something that's displeasing. It's going to be something full of pleasure. Because it's coming out of the very nature of God. And the way that those sounds. And what I think John heard was something he couldn't quantify. It was something he couldn't put in a category. He couldn't categorize it. He goes, it was... Voice sounds stuff. There's music. Music without any earthly foundation. Lightnings and thunderings. Voices. Power. It's the power realm. The the thunders and the lightnings. The, The activities of heaven. The prophetic proclamations and the activities of heaven manifest in the earth. I just want to read this to you from Job 36. Job, to me, is one of the coolest theophanies in the Bible. Theophany is an appearance of the Father, an appearance of God. And Job, there in 36, 37, is one of the most, all the way really to the end of the chapter, 42, it's one of the coolest theophanies there is in the Bible. It's overlooked all the time. Let me just read this to you. Just think about this. When you're thinking about the throne, just think about this. Behold, he spreads his lightning about him, and he covers the depths of the sea. For by these, by what? By the lightnings, he judges peoples. It's the activities of God. He gives food in abundance. He covers his hands with the lightning, and he commands it to strike the mark. Its noises declare his presence. 37.1, at this also, he says, my heart trembles and leaps from its place. Listen closely to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that goes out of his mouth. Under the whole heaven, he lets it loose and is lightning to the ends of the earth. After it, after the lightning, a voice roars. He thunders with his majestic voice. He does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders with his voice wondrously, doing great things which we cannot comprehend. The thunders are the proclamations, the decrees of heaven. The lightnings are the activities of God loosed in the earth. John is watching them come out of God's being. He's watching the activities of heaven manifest 
from the being of God. Undoubtedly, those lightnings and thunderings that are coming out of God are in response to the prayers of the saints. What I want to tell you is this. When you come before that throne, you ask the Father of mercies for mercy. When you ask Him to intervene in the course of human affairs, thunder and lightning is emanated from His being and released into the realm of the earth. And that's how things move. Oh, that we would be throne gazers. Oh, that we would be ones that comprehend the throne. Oh, that we would be ones that would come before that throne and be fascinated with beauty. We come to the knowledge of who He is. We perceive this one seated upon the throne. Before the throne, there's a sea of glass like crystal. Sea of glass. Daniel saw it as a fiery stream. John later sees it as a river. And I believe this. I believe there's a sea and there's a river. And the river goes right through the midst of the sea. John sees it in, in verse, uh, chapter 15. And Daniel saw it in Daniel 7. He saw it with fire mingled in it. A sea of crystal glass mingled with fire proceeding from the throne, carrying the very nature of God, pure, full of life. This is emanating from the throne. When we see the the dead saints, you know where they are? They're in the sea. The souls of the saints, they're before the throne, they're on the sea of glass. They're receiving the life flow from the throne the entire time they're there. You know where I go? When I go to the throne, sea of glass, baby. Sea of glass. That's where I want to be. The life flow. So I picture myself on the sea. I'm giving you an overview, by the way. This is not exhaustive at all. This is touch the point and move on. You could spend, I mean, weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks unfurling the majesty of the throne. I'm touching it barely. I want to make one more point. It'll draw us into where we're going next week. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Hebrews 2.10 says, All things are for him, for the Father. 1 Corinthians 8. All things are through him, to him and for him. All things are for him, for the Father. See, we don't really know where this thing is going. This age, we bring about the rule of Jesus the King. And the whole next age, we get to perceive Jesus in his beauty. But the whole next age, Just as this age sets up the next age, the whole next age sets up the next age. And let me show you what's going to happen at the end of the next age. Verse 24, 1 Corinthians 15. Then comes the end when he, Jesus, delivers the kingdom to God the Father. When he puts an end to all rule and all authority. Because every... Every rule and every authority in the earth realm, it's going to go away. And all power, it's going to go away. It's talking about human governments. Verse 25. Why? Because Jesus must reign until he's put all enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that will be destroyed is death. Verse 27. For he has put all things under his feet, but when he says all things are put under him... It is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. In other words, the Father is not included in the all things. Look at verse 28. Now when all things are made subject to him, Jesus, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him, that God the Father may be all in all. Here's what's going to happen, beloved. At the end of the next age, Jesus is going to turn to the Father and He's going to hand Him the kingdom and the Son 
in perfect equality with the Father and in perfect submission to the Father. I don't know how it works, but that's what he's going to do. He's actually going to come back up under the Father. And everything is going to be subject to the Father. We are going to truly have a theocracy. God will rule everything. The Father will tabernacle among men. We will be his children. He will be our father. We will not have any veils between us and the Revelation 4 throne. And we will go back and forth, intersect and interact with the father of glory. The son hands the entire kingdom to the father. That the father can be what? All in all. The father has an agenda. You know what it is? He wants a family. He wants a family. I was thinking about this the other day, you know, Isaiah 26, 27, it talks about the, uh, talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb, the end of the age, and it says the Father will make for us a feast on this mountain in Jerusalem, on Mount Zion. The Father is going to make a feast. He's going to use the choice pieces of meat, the best wines, I'm kind of like, God, I don't really like wine, but probably then I'm going to really like it. He's going to give us the finest cuisine. I think the Father likes us to be pleased. We're going to have the finest cuisine. The Father's going to make the meal. But let me ask you this. What are the family dinners going to be like when everything has been delivered up to the Father? We all get to interface with the Father. The Father dwells among men. Revelation 4, Father, the one seated on the throne. Jesus said, the Father himself loves you. Beloved, he's beautiful. He's glorious to behold. He's magnetic to our frame. Oh, oh, that we wouldn't live this life veiled and dull to the reality of the Father, to the beauty and the glory of the Father. Oh, that we daily come before him and perceive the jasper, the sardius, the emerald rainbow, the sea of glass. We see the living creatures. We see the 24 elders. Our hearts would be thrilled. We live alive in the revelation of the knowledge of him. Good, amen. Let's stand. The Son is going to deliver the kingdom to the Father. In perfect equality and in perfect humility, the Son will come unto the Father. For all things are for the Father. This thing's ultimately going to the Father. We need to get our father issues handled, hey? Starts with going before the throne. Just close our eyes for a moment. This is what I do. I, I close my eyes. And I behold the throne. Throne set in heaven. eyes of your heart, the divine imagination. Let's begin to conceive of the throne. Ezekiel saw the throne as a sapphire throne. Psalmist said it's a throne of fire. A fiery throne of sapphire. And one sitting there. It's like a Jasper, diamond. It's like a sardius. Both colors emanating at the same time. There's an emerald rainbow about the throne. For the throne, it's a crystal sea, pure as glass, with a river of fire 
issuing forth from it. River of life, river of fire. There's 24 thrones, 12 on each side. That's how I always picture it. 24 elders. For the throne, four living creatures. lion an ox an eagle and a man wings and eyes and they're singing holy there's thunders there's lightnings there's voices Behold a throne. Behold a throne. Behold a throne set in heaven. 